Hello and welcome to a Karakatsu Podcast. Today we're being joined by Dr. Matt Antonucci and we'll be discussing single and multi-axis rotational therapies. If you would like to learn how to leverage the power of rotational therapies in your office, visit karakatsu.com. Hello and welcome to a Karakatsu Podcast. Today we are joined by one of my good friends and colleagues, Dr. Matthew Antonucci. Uh, Dr. Antonucci is Director of Neuro- uh, Neurological Rehabilitation and Performance at Plasticity Brain Centers in Orlando, Florida. He's also an Associate Professor of Neurology for the Carrick Institute, so an esteemed faculty member. He's also a highly sought-after public speaker on various healthcare topics. I've personally seen him speak to audiences of in the thousands, he always does an amazing job. I've always uh, learned from him, and, uh, and I'm glad to have him on the show as a good friend and colleague. Dr. Antonucci, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be on the podcast and given this opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, listen, so I brought you on specifically because I wanted to, I, I always bring people on that I want to learn from. And, uh, you know, I've known you for a very long time. You're a very good friend of mine, and I have an incredible amount of respect of what you achieved with your your practice and the team that you have at Plasticity Brain Centers. I've, and I'll, I will say in the effort of full disclosure, I do get to attend patients there. Uh, so I feel very lucky that I get to be there as well. Your team is amazing. You're amazing. There's just an amazing group there. I, I love it there. And not a lot of people get to see the technology you have there. So I wanted to bring you on to talk about some of the technology, specifically the mark Right, so a lot of people. You, there's, it, I see videos. I see patients posting up the videos and pictures, and how about how happy they are at Plasticity Marine Centers, and they always love talking about the mark. So I just had to bring you on the show uh, to learn more about it, so we could share this information. So are you ready? I am ready. All right. So listen. So the first question, really quick, the mark, right? The mark is M A R C. What is it? I mean, some people, some people have never even heard of it, never seen it. I, I may have to post a picture up with the podcast if you could send me one. But what, what is the mark? Yeah, a lot of people don't know what MARC is because Plasticity Brain Centers and uh, has actually developed MARC. It stands for Multiple Axis Rotational Chair. And um, while it's not the only chair in the world that, that rotates individuals, um, it's the, really the only one in clinical functionality uh, with multiple axes of rotation. Right. So I know there's other types of chairs out there. I think there was even like, even Eppley at one point had a chair, uh, you know, from a, a long time ago. But there's, the mark does something a little bit different or a little bit better than some of the other systems out there, right? It's the fact that it has, it's three axes, correct? Or axes? Yeah, so there's the three axes, which are pitch, yaw, and roll. So pitch is like you're doing somersaults forward. Yaw is if you are turning left and right. And roll is like if you're doing cartwheels. And mark allows us to do one, two, or three of those axes of rotation at, uh, at one time. So it's pretty unique. And there are some others, like you said, uh, the Epley Omniax, which was designed to treat an inner ear dysfunction called BPPV. That's one that does turn in three different rotation axes, but not all at the same time. And there are a bunch of other experimental devices that are used for research, but Mark is the only multiple axis rotational chair used in clinical practice in the world. Got it. So you're saying that because you could do them at the same time, but it's not always done at the same time, right? Like you may do one axis or maybe two and some occasionally sometimes three, but it's not always done at the same time. Is that, is that correct to say? Yeah, that's right. So it really depends on what the individual that's being placed inside the device needs. It's it's patient specific. So 
That's correct. That's we call it smart therapy. Uh, so S M A R T. So single or multi-axis rotational therapy. That's kind of what we call it. It's it's smart. Um, and the single would be just somebody just turning back and forth or in a circle like they're sitting in a desk chair. But the difference between using Mark to do that and using a desk chair is that Mark is reproducible. It's consistent. So we can turn somebody at the same speed, at a calculated speed, repetitiously over and over again. So that would be single axis rotational therapy. The multiple axis rotation therapy is when we combine both turning and flipping or flipping and rolling. Um, And this allows us to have what we call three degrees of freedom. So we can move people in three dimensions. Um, when you only have two axes, you're limited to two degrees of freedom. So realistically, it gives us nearly, um, maybe not infinite combinations of vectors that we can move people in, but certainly exponentially more. And this allows us to cater therapy specifically to individuals. And we can do, uh, those repositioning maneuvers in the chair. There's so much we can do. So that's, that's incredible. I mean, it's a very impressive device. If anybody's seen it, it looks something like, uh, something out of Star Wars, the future in it, in it's, uh, at Plasticity Brain Center. So it's, I think that's why everybody kind of gravitates to it. They take the videos and go, wow, look, look, this helped my husband. This helped my daughter, my son. It's, (laughs) they really get a kick out of it. Yeah, it's definitely a showpiece. People like to say, you know, I conquered Mark and, you know, I went to space camp and, you know, it's one of the many things that we do here, but it seems to get the most uh, attention just because of how, how grand it is and how unique it is. Yeah, definitely unique. So I think the next question I'd like to really uh, learn from you is why do these patients need this therapy? Well, realistically, everybody can benefit from vestibular therapy. Um, And the reason being is the vestibular system is so intimately related to all of our functionality. Um, It essentially allows people to stand better, change their muscle tone, change blood flow. We know that the vestibular system has role in thinking. Uh, We know that it has so much integration. So Patients need it so that they can restore their quality of life by allowing them to kind of interact better with space and know where they are in space. Got it. Yeah. So I guess I was going to ask a little bit later, but I'll ask it now. So we know that the mark is affecting the vestibular system, obviously, because it's rotating people. And I could, you could visually see, obviously, you're obviously having this vestibular input. But does the mark affect other systems of the body as well? Yeah, absolutely. And it does affect the vestibular system, but not in the way that we always think it might do that. So there's a bunch of studies that were done on off vertical axis rotation, one of which they surgically plugged the vestibular system or the labyrinthine system to say it differently. Uh, These are the semicircular canals that allows you to detect rotation. So typically you would think in a rotational chair, the rotational apparatus would be stimulated. So they plugged up these vestibular canals and they put the subjects, in this case they were uh, chimpanzees, they put them in the chair and they rotated them. And what they saw is that those chimpanzees actually started developing nystagmus. And that perplexed a lot of scientists and because they are saying, wait a second, how could this be possible if we plugged up the apparatus that detects rotation? So we know that vestibular off-vertical axis rotation or OVARD uh, therapies allows us to stimulate more than just the labyrinthine system. It has uh, influence on what we call our otolithic system, which allows us to perceive gravity. Uh, We know that it affects heart rate. We know that it affects heart rate variability. We know that it affects cognitive function. And there are actually some studies that were done that allows us to prove that 
when we take a, a person and rotate their whole body in space, they can actually get better sensitivity in their hands, which may benefit a musician or an athlete or somebody that it's a, a skilled worker that may need to use their hands pretty often. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also may compromise individuals that have a low pain tolerance and and maybe experiencing pain. So we have to be very, very discreet and selective in how we use mark and off vertical access rotation. And it has to be done on a patient by patient basis. Right. I mean, I think one of the things that's fascinating about seeing the recommendations that your team comes up with for the patients at plasticity is every single patient gets a very individual and unique profile. And from what I just heard from you, that is an absolute necessity, right? You can't just give a blanket uh, solution and say, hey, let's stimulate, you know, if this person has this condition or these types of findings, these two or three findings, let's give them this. It, It really is more complex than that, isn't it? Absolutely. It's certainly complex and it's, it really is individual. I mean, we are all different. We're all unique in our own ways and all of our brains are unique. So therefore, there should be a unique way of treating each individual. We can't just give a generic treatment to everybody, expecting it to work the same on everybody, even if they're all different. So I, I heard you mention a couple different kind of symptoms and conditions. What types of patients have you put through the mark, if I guess if I could say it that way? What yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, our youngest patient that's kind of gone and marked for a therapeutic purpose was an 18-month-old. And our oldest at this point was a 91-year-old. So really covering the gamut, what we're seeing now is that multiple axis rotational therapy or smart therapy um, really helps all sorts of different types of conditions. There's high effectiveness in motion sickness in uh, a syndrome called mal debarkman syndrome. And there's a specific protocol that we're looking at specifically for those individuals that have motion sickness, which incorporates both rotation uh, in the yaw plane as well as in the roll plane and optokinetic stimulus. So that's one thing. We have seen a lot of children um, we've been fortunate to learn from them. They've been maybe fortunate to be wor- able to work with us, but these are children that have experienced near drownings in swimming pools where they had to be resuscitated and they've been diagnosed with called, uh, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy or HIE, which is basically an acquired form of cerebral palsy. So all of these individuals have difficulty with movement. They've got spasticity, rigidity, um, they've got poor communication and interaction with the world. And we've seen some really miraculous changes with their tone, with their communications, with their alertness. Uh, we've treated children with autism, people with concussions, people with Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis. Um, I mean, realistically, the list goes on and on. And, and that's because that vestibular system is so pivotal in baseline foundational function of the nervous system that if that's not working properly, people will never be able to reach their ultimate neurological potential. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you're right. I, I have seen your team uh, work with those vestibular type conditions and do very well using uh, your the protocols you guys have set forth that plasticity along with the mark. But I think the most impressive is has been watching those patients uh, from the near um, from the drownings. I think what makes it easy to see is those parents that become so excited. Those are the most vocal or vocal people about it. Those are the ones that put up the videos and you see them right. Uh, the big emails and posts on various uh, social media because they're so excited about having something that's delivering a result for them. Um, it's kind of the type of thing when I think about it, it kind of gives me goosebumps because you see these children come in and the fact that uh, they improve when when maybe they thought they weren't ever going to be able to is it's pretty amazing to watch. 
Yeah, in a short period of time. We only see them for five days. So it, it's three times a day for five days. And then they go back to their physical therapist, their speech therapist, uh, their occupational therapist. And essentially what those therapists have come back to us and said is that whatever we did gave them a new platform for them to make greater gains on. So it's really a collaborative effort because like we said, we're only they're only here for five days. There's only so much changes we can make in five days. But we really rely upon other types of therapists to do their jobs with the skill sets that they have to really com- collaboratively work on the patient outcome. I think my favorite is when the you know one of the, the other physicians that when you when they get referred back because you guys use them uh, work with them for a short time, when they call in the next week and say you got to tell me what you guys did, <laughs> I always yeah. get a kick out of that. Yeah, they all want to know, you know, what did you do and can I do it on all the rest of my patients? And right. that's what we always have to have the conversation about people's uniqueness. Right. That's 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 amazing. Yeah, it's it's, it's like I said, it's the type of thing that gives me gives me goosebumps to think about it. Um, hey, so the mark, I'm sure people are going to hear this and go, hold on, I, I need to start doing something of this. How do I how do I do it? Um, actually, let me ask this question. Is the how, is it even possible to get a mark? Um, right now there is only one of them in the world and it's here at Plasticity Brain Centers, but we have Mark II coming out. Mark II is, uh, in the last two years we've used Mark I and we've said, okay, this is great. This needs to be tweaked a little bit. This needs to be approved upon. These features need to be added. So Mark II is going to have all of those and then there'll be two in the world. So, um, you know, Mark is not something that's owned specifically by Plasticity Brain Centers. Uh, we've had a big hand in developing Mark and, and figuring out you know, what we want in it, but there's a separate company that actually produces it, our sister company. And I think that their intentions are to make it available to others um, if, if somebody wants it. So if somebody's interested in purchasing a Mark, there's certainly that opportunity. But as of right now, there is only one Mark. Got it. Uh, the Mark II. Hold on one second. It, can you can you tell us a little bit more about the upgrades to Mark II? Is that fair to ask before it comes out, or is that top secret still? I think it's top secret, but we can talk a little bit about it. One of the things that we really are trying to improve upon is the what's called the GUI, the the graphic user interface. Um, this is the way that the doctors interact with the chair. Right now. Um, the doctors kind of have to do some advanced physics and calculations and trigonometry and in order to figure out what direction, what durations, what acceleration, deceleration, timing, in order to get somebody to land in the proper position, not upside down and dangling from a chair. So there's a lot that goes into creating a, a protocol in Mark, but I think with Mark two, the user interface is going to be a lot better where we can say we want somebody to do this and it'll do it. Um, it'll also have um, some different uh, different style to it. It's going to look, I think, probably more like an MRI device with plastic panels around it to hide some of the, the internal structures. Um, I think that there's going to be some technology integrations where we can look at eye movements and uh, we're going to have some laser pointers inside the chair and cameras. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be more technological upgrades because right now the mechanical integrity of the chair is, is amazing. We haven't, knock on wood, we haven't had a single problem in the two years that we've had the chair. So mechanically it's sound. I think they're just going to be cosmetic and, and electronic slash technology updates. Right. The integrations is uh, what I was hoping would happen. And the fact that there are going to be some with observing the eye movements while inside the mark. That's, uh, to me, as a clinician, going to be game-changing. So I can't wait to get 
uh, trained up on using that new technology. This is this is amazing. I mean, I'm a I'm a techie guy myself, so I can't help but love to learn about this stuff. Very cool. Yeah, one of the things that I'm really excited about too is that I think what we're probably going to have, and it's not written in stone yet, is we're probably going to have a, a mini short throw projector built inside the chair so that we can project OPKs onto a screen and then move people in, in either the same direction as the OPK to decrease their sensitivity to movement or move them in the opposite direction of the OPK. And OPK stands for an optic kinetic uh, stimulus, um, which will allow us to, to change the way that their brain is perceiving movement. So that'll be really exciting for some of the new projects that we're working on. And maybe you might want to talk about this a little later, so I don't want to jump the gun, but working with aerospace technology and uh, different things for like astronauts and fighter jet pilots, et cetera. Very awesome. Hey, so let's let me uh, we'll change direction a little bit. So, the mark itself, people are going to hear this and go, "Wow, I could probably help a lot of people using some some variation of therapy like this." But this type of therapy, is it a standalone therapy? Like, is the future are people going to be setting up clinics where they're like, "Hey, you're going to come in here and get some sort of multi-axis rotational chair therapy," or how is it best uh, integrated? Is it individual? I guess that's my question. Yeah, you know, I I really wish I was able to predict the future, so I don't really know what people will do in the future. But what we know is in the past, Dr. Carrick and I published a paper, and I think it was in 2011 or 2012. It's been a little while now, but essentially what we did is we wanted to see if off-vertical axis rotation from a therapeutic perspective is a standalone modality or is it effective as a standalone modality or is it something that is – uh, accretive to other types of therapies. So what we did is we took a group of students and we divided that group into four uh, different individuals. And we did everybody, we did balance assessments on everybody before that uh, because balance is known to be one of the best biomarkers for brain integrity. So if you've got good balance, the thought is, is that you can stand upright in space, you know where you are. Uh, you're, and realistically, there's only a couple types of animals that stand on two feet and navigate the world, and humans are one of them. So we give them higher humanistic qualities if they're able to have good balance. Uh, we looked at individuals' balance uh, parameters and stability scores. Then what we did is we split one quarter of the group and we spun them forward and right. Mm-hmm. One quarter of the group went forward and left. One quarter of the group went back and right. One quarter of the group went back and left. And what we did is we examined their stability scores after the rotation. 24 hours after the rotation, 48 hours after the rotation, and then one week after the rotation. And what we found is that the benefits and stability from off-vertical axis rotation on its own only lasted 24 hours before the person went back into baseline. So to answer your direct question, is Mark a standalone therapy? It can be a standalone therapy if you want the benefits to last 24 hours. If hmm. you want the, the, the benefits from that rotation to have a long-term effect, I think what realistically what happens is, is that off-vertical axis rotation is it, – it's like one ingredient in a recipe. Um, it takes other things to really make the, the end goal and to uh, create long-lasting neurological benefits. Right. That's, so that's fascinating. So you're able to get a short-term change that lasted about 24 hours. And I guess the rest of the therapies that, I mean, for I can kind of only speak to the model that, I, that we use at Plasticity, is to the rest of the therapies uh, I'm sure have, uh, we know have uh, many different effects, but part of the aspect is try to lock in that positive change. Right. Well, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before. Remember, we said that the vestibular system is integrated into the somatosensory system, where the system allows us to feel our body. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when we look at a child that has uh, an HIE injury, um, one of the things that 
research has proven is that they have a difficult time taking sensory information in and turning it into a motor output. Mm. So what we may do is we may put them in mark first because research shows that off vertical axis rotation increases sensory perception. So after that, we might take them into another room and do somatosensory evoke potentials where we use electricity and we stimulate a specific nerve based upon that individual to once again boost up their ability to feel their body. Then after that, we may do a neuromuscular re-education protocol where we maybe get them to do exercises where they touch one elbow to one knee. We do these passively because a lot of these kids can't move. So to a metronome, we might do cross-crawl patterns or complex movements like figure of eights. Once again, integrate and increasing somatosensory stimulation, but also combining it with motor. So you can see that off vertical axis rotation in that model was specifically designed to increase somatosensory awareness so the following somatosensory activities can better be effective, but then it also affects the vestibular system, which modulates tone. So you can see how there's not one therapy in that abbreviated regimen that I just talked about mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is like the thing. The people always ask me, what is the thing that allowed us to have these outcomes and I say it's 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 all of them because one builds on another and I think that's what we found with that study about off vertical axis rotation not being a standalone modality that it really works better when it's incorporated with other therapies I think you said it best real like it's the recipe that uh, the team puts together that yields the the incredible results that plus yeah I often say it to my patients I know sometimes it sounds cheesy um, I'm an analogy guy I love analogies it's how I I make sense of things in my mind but it's like if you go to a Michelin star restaurant and you had this amazing dish and you go to the chef and said you know what was the one ingredient that made this taste so good you know nobody would ever ask that question because it's common sense that it's not one gr ingredient that made that dish so delicious it's all of them and it's the same thing here with the uh, neuro rehabilitation got it beautiful um, so one of the things that happens to me as a faculty advisor for the Carrick Institute is I get to talk to lots of uh, scholars, uh, people who are in do doctoral programs, whether physical therapy, medical, chiropractic, and they're, you know, they need help on getting an education uh, and where to go. And I get also get lots of phone calls every week from doctors who are trying to understand a concept uh, that you know maybe they had a little difficulty the first time. You know, I, I find myself giving lectures Every day, all day, but it's, uh, it helps the scholars. One question I get at least uh, two to three times a week is people trying to understand um, vestibular stimulations and how it affects their patients. So I'm going to – and, well, you have a device that does very powerful stimulation. So I guess one of the questions – and I'll, I'll give you one that I just recently heard. The patient was like, all right, I have a uh, doctor was like, I have a patient who has – they have a CAPS unit, so a, computerized assessment of postural graphic systems, right? They're kind of measuring where they feel they are in space. And they said, hey, Dr. Garcia, this patient has a perceived center of pressure that's backwards. And that's why this patient is leaning forward, their camp decormic. And that's what they're kind of explaining to me. They're like, well, if I was doing rotational therapy, how would I want to spin them? How would I want to move them? And I hear that, and this question happens all the time. And I'm going to, I know what I say to them uh, because of, I've been trained by Professor Carrick and the faculty here, but I'm going to lob that up to you. Because um, I'm sure you must hear that too, since everybody knows you have this technology. How do you, how do you address those types of questions? 
Yeah, well, that's a that's a tough one because there really is no answer to that question. And I might just kind of precede my answer with a little bit of an explanation. In one of the classes that I teach, which is the essentials of receptor-based uh, neural rehabilitation, we often talk about how being a functional neurologist or a chiropractic neurologist is a lot like being a detective. Um, and I kind of make my little cheesy joke about CSI, cerebral systems investigator. Um, <laughs> but realistically, that's what we need to do. We need to look at clues to figure out what we need to do to help that individual. A, a posterior center of pressure or a posterior distribution of weight or a posterior perceived center of pressure is just one clue in a big puzzle. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to pitch some, put somebody in off vertical axis rotation and push them backward just because they have a posterior center pressure. We need to look at a whole bunch of different things. Do they have, first of all, do they have vestibular ocular reflexes? Do they have the ability to tolerate movement of their head and body in space? If they don't have that, well, you're not going to pitch them backwards at all. You've got to do things to establish that. If they do have it, then you're going to want to see, well, do they actually have a posterior center of pressure or do they have muscles that are pulling them in the opposite direction because they have biomechanical challenges? Maybe they sit at a desk chair all day long with their, their back hunched and they've got shortening of some ligaments, lengthening of others. And realistically, they don't have a posterior center of pressure. They just have weakness of extensors. If that's the case, you might want to pitch them forward. Um, you want to look at how their body is able to perceive, how their brain is able to perceive their body. Some people have decreased representation of the posterior side of the body versus the anterior side, so the changes their posture. So I think, I think you begin to realize that when somebody asks a question, when somebody has X, should I do Y? The answer should always be, you know, we need to have more information. We need more clues to solve that crime. Um, and it's not as simple as just saying, if I see this, then should I do that? that that's beautiful. Cause that's a, thank you. That, I, I love that. I'm going to steal some of the, the ways you said that because when somebody asks a question like that of me, I immediately have to come back with how are their optokinetics left versus right? How are their pursuit mechanisms? How are their DTRs in the left and right in the posterior versus anterior compartments? And the, and the doctor kind of quickly goes, well, I, you know, I, I didn't check. I that. don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I go, well, then hold on. You're, you're trying to jump to the end before you have all the information. So I guess if we do your crime analogy, you're trying to, you're trying to get somebody indicted for the crime and you don't even have all the clues yet. So it's like, you're, you're not there yet. You need more information so you can make a, a smarter decision. And I, yeah. and I think it's important for for us as educators because we both are right we both teach with the characters is to um not cheapen the the solution right i mean you really got to do the best for the patient and that requires doing uh the an appropriate exam which often is a thorough exam so you can kind of get all the clues just like you said and then yield them the best outcome possible exactly and one way that we can get better at this is is creating standardized examination procedures so that when you ask somebody for help who may have a little more experience than you or has a specialty that you don't, if we have a standardized assessment that we always do and a standardized way of reporting what we observed, then all of a sudden it becomes a completely different ballgame. And then from there, if we're able to prove with substantiality and some significance that when an individual sees X, Y, and Z as a pattern, um, maybe A, B, and C works really, really well for that 95% of the time. Then all of a sudden, we move from being individual practitioners that are doing their own thing, that are, are, are 
are making observations and, and kind of just thinking off their cusp to creating clinical guidelines that will really increase the continuity of care, that'll make things um, more research uh, friendly um, and also benefit society as a whole. So, you know, obviously the Carrick Institute has a part of that in the educational process, but also the Carrick Institute scholars have a big part in that in order to to gather their data, to take good notes, to be disciplined, to try and do things repetitiously and consistently so that we can prove that things uh, are not patterned, so to speak, that not that you just textbook give somebody some sort of a treatment parameter, but we can get more consistent and more inter-practitioner reliability. Awesome. And I know, I know the team at Plasticity uh, goes to great lengths, actually, with their documentation and the systems they use just for that purpose, to so the fact that you guys have even published some of your outcomes based off the methods that have been taught by Professor Carrick and used by your team. Yeah, absolutely. We're attracting some big attention from medical universities uh, in Florida, particularly, um, such as the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. Now Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University has approached us about doing some research because because we take that time to document so, so well, and we're, we're tracking outcomes. And, you know, we're about to publish a paper now, and it probably either the end of the year or the beginning of 2018, all about uh, our outcomes with chronic uh, concussion patients that have been refractory to at least three other therapies, um, and how they did under our five-day model, because we have the disciplined data collection. So, you know, I think data and research is the common communication uh, or the common language between all healthcare disciplines. And if we could do more and more research, then that's going to be better for everybody. And that's one of our initiatives at Plasticity Brain Center is to, to collect data, to do research, to prove that functional neurology is effective in both the first line therapy, a second line, or even a third line therapy. It just takes time because you have to collect data and taking collecting data, first of all, takes time because you need the the individuals to participate in the research, but you also need to do it. Right. And it's, a, it's an incredible amount of work, but uh, it's... Uh, Rewarding. It's, yes. And it's uh, altruistic in regards to how you guys are, are doing that because it really helps the entire healthcare industry. I mean, not just a profession, but really the entire industry. So then people can look at that data and say, hey, if I, if I have this type of population based off the data that I've seen here, these things may be more appropriate. It just gives us a head start if we start collecting this and share this data and, and more importantly, get it published. Um, so I applaud you, the, you and your team's effort for all of this. It's fantastic. Thanks. Our team, you know, you're on it too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Dr. Tanucci, um, there's a lot of us, obviously, that don't have technology like Mark's or that type of device. What's a way that we can create customized plans to restore our patient's neurological integrity? Absolutely. Well, so this is where this receptor-based essentials paradigm comes in because when we break it down to the essentials, there is a common denominator that all patients can benefit from. So realistically, what it takes is, is from just making some observations understanding those observations, and then creating a unique therapy for that individual. So one of the things that we often talk about in our essentials course is just assessing vestibular function. So since the topic of today was more about vestibular and on and off vertical axis rotation, hmm. one of the things you're going to want to look at is just do maybe three simple tests. Maybe the first test is a Halmaggi head thrust where you take somebody's head and you turn it quickly to one side about 10 degrees very quickly. Um, and see how their eyes maintain fixation, and then 
and turn it to the opposite side. So if somebody has a deficiency to the right, you're going to put a check mark in the right column. Okay. Then have somebody maybe do what's called a Fukuda step test. So you put your arms out in front of them and have them take about 50 steps and marching with their eyes closed and see which direction they rotate to. If they rotate to the right, there's another check in the right-hand column. And then you may want to also look at their ability to see where they are in space by doing the finger-nosed finger test. So touch somebody's finger, touch their nose, and then have them touch the examiner's finger again with their right hand to the right side, their left hand to the left side, mm -hmm. do it with eyes open, then eyes closed. And if you find that somebody has a decreased awareness of one side of space, and let's just say that that's on the right side, all of a sudden now you have another checkbox in that right-hand column. That's three pieces of evidence if we're going to stick with our CSI analogy to say that this person this person might need some better awareness of the right side of space so you're going to want to stimulate their right-sided vestibular system now we also talked about how the vestibular system is not isolated it's not on a, a, a single island in the middle of an ocean it's connected it, it's 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 united with other neurological systems so in order to affect the vestibular system there are other modalities that you can do to affect the vestibular system and somebody's awareness of where they are in space. We talked about the vestibular uh, system's role with head and body position, so movement in space. We also said that there's somatosensory input to the vestibular system. We know that there are mechanoreceptors in the cervical spine that integrate into the vestibular system. So keep it nice and simple. That individual needs to be better aware of their right side of space. So you're gonna do things to integrate the right side of space. You can turn them in a desk chair to the right. Mm -hmm. You can give them a leftward optokinetic because if you turn to the right and you watch the world, it moves to the left, sure. right? So a leftward optokinetic. You can give them somatosensory types of activities like either, um, you know, use, a, you can have them grab a dumbbell, a five pound dumbbell and turn it in and out with their right arm. Um, you can have them you can adjust them or have it do a chiropractic manipulation or a cervical mobilization so that their head moves better to the right. So maybe that's an adjustment from a chiropractic perspective on the left side, or maybe it's more like PNF stretching muscles on the left to give better rotation to the right. And then go back and retest your initial findings, your Halmagi head thrust, your Fukuda step test and your finger nose finger. So that's a way that you can increase somebody's vestibular perception that's not so complicated that you don't need to flip them upside down, turn them all around, rotate them here and there. Um, that's something that you can easily do in your practice to help somebody have a better awareness where they are in space, which will then change their integrity into their autonomic system, which controls their heart rate, their blood vessel tone, blood pressure, their heart rate variability. You're gonna be able to change the way that they perceive the world uh, where they are in space, we have the research that shows that it increases tactile stimulation in the hands and feet and body. So you're going to increase brain activity through sensory elements. And you're also going to change the way that their eyes function. So something, and I, I, this is a very, very specific way of saying something. These are simple things to do. I mean, I'm sorry, they're easy things to do, but not necessarily simple. They're very complex in their integrations and in their neurophysiology, mm -hmm. but they're easy to implement and practice. And I think that's something that somebody can do until the point where it's just not effective. And then they can call the Carrick Institute and all of the faculty advisors are always willing to help doctors, um, help them out, whether that means just giving them some advice over the phone or maybe getting them in for a consult or an examination to send back their managing doctor a prescription 
or maybe just treat them to get them a little bit better and then sending them back with the care plan. So uh, for those of us that don't have a mark, there are lots of ways to do this. And this is what we go through when we start talking about receptor-based essentials and the vestibular uh, rehab program uh, the Care Institute offers. There's all these different programs that allow individuals to get better at what they do to the level in which they want to be better at. If you if you want to be just good enough, there's the course for just good enough. If you want to be the best, there's a course for the being the best. And it's realistically what that individual wants. Beautiful. Beautiful. Loved it. Um, Dr. Antonucci, I know you have to get going soon. but So thank you very much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us on this podcast. If people wanted to find you or learn more about you, how did they do that? Well, if you want to find more about me, I mean, there's my, my information, the Carrick Institute's website under the faculty section. I've got a website, drantonucci.com. It's D-R-A-N-T-O-N-U-C-C-I.com. Um, that's more for like public speaking and, and lectures and things of that nature um, and a little bit more about me. And then there's also the Plasticity Brain Centers website, which is plasticitybraincenters.com, which talks more about less about me, more about our team and how we do things here at our facility, the technologies that we have, the people we can help. And there's lots of cool videos on there. And I say cool because I think it is cool. Uh, it's you know, a very professional scientific term. But you'll see videos of individuals whose lives have changed significantly in a short period of time. And it's pretty inspirational. Um, so those are really three good ways to get a hold of us. Um, and also to learn a little bit more about what I do, what my team does, our team does, and uh, a little bit more about how you can become educated a little bit better in functional neurology. Excellent. So we have drantonucci.com, plasticitybraincenters.com. And again, Dr. Uh, Antonucci, thank you very much. He, I'd like to remind everybody, he is a, a highly esteemed faculty member for the Carrick Institute. So if you want to take a course and see where he's teaching next, feel free to find, uh, to find, us at, uh, find that information at carrickinstitute.com. Dr. Antonucci, Thank you very, very much for your time again. And I, I actually have a ton more questions about technology that I know uh, is very special to Plasticity Brain Center. So I think I'm already knowing that I'm planning on having you back again just to talk about that. So, But for now, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And I think everybody's going to really enjoy this generous share from you. So thank oh, you. Well, thank you. It's been a privilege to be on this. And I'm looking forward to potentially doing it again in the future. So thanks, uh, thanks, Dr. Garcia. Thank you, the Carrick Institute. And thank you for anybody that took the time out to listen to this. I really appreciate it. Until next time, my friend. Bye-bye. Right, take care. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on carrickinstitute.com.